My lesson this morning is going to be uh, coming from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And the title of my, my uh, message this morning is Letting God Lead. It is important that we as believers in Christ, it is important that we as the body of Christ know how to yield to let him lead and guide us and direct us. I'm an old man. I have retired with the economy the way that it is. I've given some consideration to going back to work. And so I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been seeking God's face about it. And so I find myself in a place that I call this morning the Valley of Decision. And some of you may find yourself in a very similar place. And if you're not in that place now, at some point in your walk with the Lord, you have experienced being in that valley of decision where there are two paths before you and you've got to decide, am I going to go to the left? Am I going to go to the right? Am I going to marry this person or am I going to keep on looking? Am I going to go to this church or am I going to stay home? And decisions upon decisions. And how much easier would it be for us if God gave us a GPS that had every turn in it that we should make, that told us when we were going to get there, that told us what to expect? Or what would it be like if God would send us, if you're standing there trying to make a decision, oh Lord, should I buy this car or not? If you got a text message and it said, this is God and go ahead, buy the red one. You know, that would be so much easier. But you see, that takes away from a key ingredient that we have to have in order to be pleasing to God, and that is faith. Amen. See, the Bible tells us that for without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we will find that as we walk in, in following him, that so often it is the measure of faith that we have to step out on. We have to trust. We have to believe. We have to understand that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he desires the best for us. So if we are going to understand how to let God lead, there are some underlying precepts that we need to discuss. And the first one of those is that God is willing to lead you. God is concerned about each and every one of you. You know, you may have been outside of his will. You may have been outside of his will so far you don't think you are redeemable, but let me tell you, you may be out of his will, but you've never, never been beyond his grasp. You've never been beyond the reach of his love. You've never been beyond the reach of his grace. God is willing to lead you. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will steer you into those paths that he would have you tread. But you've got to understand that you have to listen. You have to yield. You have to be willing to let him lead you this morning. Oh, God 
Number two, God is able to guide you. It would be one thing if God was just willing, but he didn't have the ability. But God has the ability. He knows you like no one else knows you. He knows the very intents of your heart. He knows the very innermost recesses of your mind. He knows the number of hairs that are upon your head. He knows whether or not you eat your broccoli. God knows you. And God desires to fellowship with you. You know, we've got to get over this notion that God doesn't care because he does. He cares so much that he was willing to die and to suffer, to redeem you, to give you eternal life, to bless you with all the blessings, all the promises that he has for you within his word. Oh, get beyond the notion that he isn't able because he is. He knows the future. He knows where the path will lead you. We don't know. We don't know. We just have to step out in faith and in trust. Oh, my. God can guide you. He can direct you. He can open doors. He can close doors. He can give you peace. He can send people before you who can counsel you, who can steer you. He will make things known to you that you didn't think that he could. He will show you the path if you're willing to follow him. Basic idea number three, thing that you need to know to be able to understand how God leads. Your happiness is not his number one priority. We all desire to be happy. We all desire to be wealthy. We all desire to be wise. I desire to be good looking, but it hasn't happened. You know, our happiness is not necessarily his first priority. You know, if, if it were, then, then we would have to think about the martyrs of the first century. So many who were willing to lay down their life for their belief, for their faith in the Lord. You know, there are, were, were 12 disciples. One of them died, Judas, leaving 11 the disciples brought on a 12th man, Matthias. All, all but one died the death of a martyr. That says something to me this morning. That says that these who lived and slept and walked with and did everything with Jesus would not compromise in their belief for him one iota. And when it came down to choosing whether I believe in him or not, they decided they would be willing to accept the martyr's death rather than compromise their faith. 
Oh, did Jesus love them? John was the beloved. But yet he faced the death of a martyr. You know, there are those being martyred even in our modern times. There are those who Christ love who still are willing to lay down this temporary life for something that is immortal, for something that lasts forever. You see, suffering is only for a while, but being in the presence of a living God, seeing Jesus face to face, receiving the reward for the work you have done in this life, let me tell you something, that is far more than what we can expect, far more than what we can imagine. Oh, hallelujah. You know, Jesus one day told the disciples, he said, here's the boat. I want you to get into this boat. I want you to cross this sea. I want you to meet me on the other side. You talk about knowing the will of God. Wouldn't you wish it was always that simple? Here is the time, here is the place, here is the tool, this is the way. You just go and do it. So his disciples being willing to follow the, the, the desire of their Lord, get in the boat, and they go out upon the sea. And what happens? Storm rises. These are seasoned men. These were fishermen. These were men who made a living off of the sea. And here this was the storm that was so upsetting. They feared they were going to lose their life. You know, if you're in the storm, just be aware that Jesus is with you. They looked out in the midst of the storm, and here he came, walking to them on the water. The Bible tells us of three Hebrew children who decided that they had been taught their whole life that they were not to bow their knees to idols of gold. And here Nebuchadnezzar in the desert had raised up this statue to himself, 90 feet tall. And when all the musical instruments were to play, everybody in the kingdom needed to bow to worship the king or the image of the king. Three boys couldn't compromise their faith. They couldn't bow their knee because they were not going to bow their knee to any idol. They were sentenced for their crime. They were punished for their crime. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were not consumed. You see, there were three people thrown into the furnace, but when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he says, oh, I see a fourth man, and he likens unto the Son of God. You know, if you're in the furnace this morning, if you're in the furnace this morning, if you're suffering, if you have fear, if you have distress, if you're wondering, God, why am I at this point in my life? Let me tell you, with all confidence, with all surety, Jesus is with you in the midst of every circumstance of your life. Daniel prayed regularly to the Lord every day. It was outlawed. You can't. Daniel did the same thing he always did. He opened the windows. Oh, and he bowed his knee, and he began to pray. 
He was, con- he was sentenced. He was condemned to die by being thrown into a den of lions. Let me tell you something. God can reach everywhere. The lion's mouths were closed. Daniel was spared. If you find yourself on the brink of the lion's den, if you find yourself staring into the flames of the furnace, if you find yourself feeling lost and feeling all alone, let me remind you that God is able God is willing, and God will lead you by his mighty hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, God does not show his will until we are willing to do it. We pray for God's will. We pray for his direction. We pray for his guidance. And when he shows it to us, sometimes we treat it like the dating game. We treat it like, hmm, I don't know, maybe I would like bachelorette number three better than bachelorette number one. Or maybe we take the, the God's direction or his will as a job offer. Well, I would accept it, but here are my terms. I'm going to need another week of vacation. You're going to have to raise my salary. You know, I, I need this and I need that. That's not the way God leads us. See, God desires for us to follow him through faith. We sign the contract. He fills in the lines. We come to him and we say we are yielded before you, Lord. Guide us, direct us, show us your will. That's the way God leads. In Matthew chapter seven, verse seven and eight, We read, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. I chose the New Living Translation for this this morning because it shows the, the original Greek, the verbs are everyone in the present tense. It doesn't say ask, and once you have asked, then seek, and then once you have seek, then knock. In the Greek, every verb is in its presence tense. And scholars will tell you that that means it is a continual process. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Every day we walk in this walk, we ask, we seek, we knock, we look for God's will, we yield to his direction, we yield to his guidance. We let God lead us. Oh, always ask. If you find yourself perplexed regarding God's will and don't know how to proceed, the question you need to ask first is, have I asked? James chapter four, verse three says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that it might be consumed upon your own lust. There's an old story that goes, a boy had taken his geography test and he wasn't feeling real confident. And his friends found him out in the hall after the test was over and he was mumbling. He kept saying, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. 
And his friends were saying, what are you doing? He says, I'm praying that God will make Tokyo the capital of France. You know, sometimes we pray, but we pray in error. You know, instead of praying for wisdom, instead of praying for knowledge, instead of praying for guidance, sometimes we have the, oh, Jesus, take the wheel mentality. Let me tell you something. If you let Jesus guide your car from the very, very beginning, you might not find yourself in the distressful situation where you need to throw up your hands in distress and say, oh, God, will you take it from here? It is a daily walk. It is a daily relationship. It is daily growing with the Lord. Hallelujah. There were two men in the Old Testament that had very different viewpoints. There was David, there was Saul. And I need to try to keep this shorter than, than I did in the first service. Saul was anointed the first king over Israel. And within a year of becoming king of Israel, he began to, to error. He began to not be patient. He began to not wait upon the leading of God. There was a time they were at Gilgal and the, the armies of, of the Philistines had, had arrayed against them and there was a vast number. And the, there were so many that the is, soldiers of Israel were fearful and they began to find places to hide. They hid in the cisterns, they hid in the thickets. They, they, some of them just packed up and just went home, forget this whole thing. And so Saul felt like he had to go do battle right now because if he waited any longer, his numbers would be diminished. And so he called for the sacrifice. Now Samuel, the prophet of God, had told him, I will be there in three days. Saul couldn't wait any longer. So he offers the sacrifice. He takes upon himself the priestly responsibility of offering the sacrifice before they went out to battle. Not the right thing to do. Another time that uh, we have that Saul was, David was fleeing from Saul. Saul wanted to kill David. David had been anointed to become the, the king over Israel. Saul was jealous of David. This long feud ensues. So we have David going to the town of Nob. And at Nob, he goes to the temple. He's hungry. He needs help. So the priests at the temple of Nob give David the sword that had belonged to Goliath. They also gave him bread and they gave him sustenance and they, they cared for him. And one of Saul's men saw the priest ministering to David. Well, when Saul found out about it, he was so angry that he called for all the priests that served at Nob to come forward. And he put every one of them to the sword. Eighty-five priests, still adorned in their priestly garments, were killed because they aided the enemy of Saul. Not only did he kill the priests, but he sent his soldiers to the village of Nob and he had them killed of the wives, the children, the livestock. 
burn their houses, destroy all remnants of them. If you want to put yourself in a position where you cannot hear the voice of God, go against his anointed. David, on the other hand, was a man who always listened to the voice of the Lord. David sinned, he did things, he did wrong things, but he repented. And before he would go to the Lord, he would inquire. Sometimes his advisors would challenge him, David, are you sure? And David would go back a second time because he wanted to be sure that he heard the voice of the Lord. There was a town called Ziglag. David was working as a, as a mercenary, basically, for the Philistines. They had him in the, in the little village of Ziglag. That's where he and his men and their families were all living. And David and the men were away assisting the Philistine army whenever Ziglag was raided. Their wives, their children, their livestock were all carried away by the raiders. Their houses were pillaged and burned. Can you imagine the grief on the, in the hearts of these men as they came being thankful, tonight I'm gonna to be home. The old country and western song, what is it? Eight days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. They've, the, the, the lights of the city should be inside, but we're not seeing it. And they get there. And they find that all that they held dear had been taken hostage and had been carried away by raiders. David went before the Lord and sought his will. I told the service this morning, early church, that I would sought Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson and I'd have been out that door as fast as I could have gone. Let me tell you something. We need to develop habits in our life that we seek God. Even when we know, even when we're driven by our emotion, even when the path looks so clear, we need to be yielded to his direction, to his guidance, to his voice. Why do we not ask? Number one, we think we already know. Or number two, we think we know what he's gonna answer and we may not like what we see. Prepare your hearts before him. Ask the Lord. Oh, I've heard people say, well, but Brother Richard, I've prayed about it until I have peace on it. Be careful. Be careful. The longer you set on a decision, the less volatile that decision begins to be. You can pray for peace. You can receive peace. You can get peace and it may not always come from God. Be careful about how you interpret having peace. Let his will, the direction you believe that you should go, stand up to the word of God. All right, that was the asking part. The next part is seek. How do we seek? How do we go about seeking the will of God? There are two methods of seeking. Number one method is to seek spiritually. 
How do we seek spiritually? The word tells us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of the Lord. How do we gain faith? How do we put ourselves in a position of, of seeking? We study the word of the Lord. Much of God's will has already been revealed to us if we have an understanding or a knowledge of his word. You know, if, for example, let, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do you want to find God's will? Here it says, Present your body a living sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 20 says, uh, through 20, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to, the, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abstain from these things. Seek after God. That part, finding his will, that's not too tough. That's not a mystery. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. King James says, avoid fornication. That's something you could do today. You don't have to seek God's will about that. The word is pretty clear on the subject. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Is that pretty clear? It's pretty clear. All circumstances, all situations, why can you be thankful in these things? Because you have trusted in him, and he is guiding your path. The Bible tells us that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. What does that mean? That means if you are living your life according to the Holy Scripture, then where you are going, how you are going, why you are going, are directed by God. Oh, but I don't like my job. You know what? Moses didn't like the fact that he was trained to be the leader of a great nation and found himself 40 years on the backside of the desert tending sheep. Joseph, who had dreams of how he was going to be a great person, didn't like the idea that he was sold into slavery. 
Not only that, but later on wrongly accused and found himself in prison. And when God had blessed him with the interpretation of the dream, thought that, uh, that he would get out, he spent another two years there waiting to be remembered. God puts us in places, sometimes uncomfortable places, sometimes in relationships we don't like, sometimes in jobs we're not crazy about. But you know what we are to do? We are to do the best we can. Make peace where we can. Do a good job. Don't complain about your work. Don't complain about your pay. The other night I was just looking on the internet thing, and, and I don't know if you noticed, but Google, at least on, on the Apple products here, has changed their, their, their homepage to where now they, they kind of have all these little feeds that they, they list up there. Used to, I used to do it because it just loads so fast and you didn't have all of that. And as I thumbed through there, all of them, every one of them, were about people complaining about their jobs. Waitresses not receiving enough tips. People not being appreciated. People being expected to work too hard. People not understanding why their employer wanted them to show up on time. You know, how could they ask so much of me? Live out your faith. Do the best you can. You will stumble. You will fall. You will do things that you look back at and say, oh, I wish I had done different. But live out your faith to the best of the ability that is within you. Psalm 62.5 says, let all that I am wait quietly before my God, for my hope is in him. Put your trust in God. Be patient. Wait before him in humility and in submission, and then expect to be led and directed. Oh, you know what? If we boil it down, knowing the will of God is simply knowing God. Once we know him, once we recognize who he is, once we are yielded to him, then so much of this Mystery wrapped in enigma begins to evaporate and we see his guidance. You know, we see his guidance in areas of our life where we did not even ask for it. He is so wise and so knowledgeable that he guides us and he protects us and he hedges us in and he focuses us in, focus us, focus us into the paths that he would have us to go. Oh, hallelujah. So we seek. We seek spiritually. We seek in the physical. If you think that you are being called to be a nurse, what do you do? You study nursing. If you feel that you're being called to be a farmer, what do you do? You study agriculture. If you feel that you're being called to be an engineer, and I would say, oh God, have mercy upon them, then you study engineering. You prepare yourself for how you feel God is guiding you and directing you. 
You need to be in a position to be able to accept the guidance, to accept what God is going to do next. And the next thing was what? Knock, knock, knock. Like I said, these verbs are, are in the present tense, which implies that they are to be continual. You knock. You knock on the door. You send out those applications. You look for the opportunities. You find ways to occupy yourself. If you feel like the Lord has called you to preach, then be involved in the church where you are at until opportunity comes. There are lost people. There are things to do. Thank God for the people that we have in this congregation who are willing to give of their time. But you know what? There are plenty of work to be done. Volunteers are too few. If you feel a leading, you feel called, find the role, find the place. Knock continuously at the gates of heaven. Hallelujah. You know, when we're knocking, sometimes we do it in prayer. And when we do, the devil throws up all these distractions before us. We need to put these distractions aside. How can you do that? Number one, you could take a pad and a pencil, or pencil and a pad of paper, and you could write them down. You know, because you're going to be thinking about everything you forgot to do. You know what? She told me to pick up a jar of mayonnaise at the grocery store, and I forgot. Is that the time to think about that in prayer? No, but it's the kind of distraction that the enemy throws up to pull you away from your prayer life. Write down on the piece of paper, pick up jar of mayonnaise. And she only likes one brand. Make sure you get that. <laughs> if... If it's something other than that, if it's some, you know, sometimes the devil wants to throw up memories of sin, of where you have failed God. And if that's the case, lay it before the throne of grace. You pray about it. You take it to the Lord right then and there. You know, it won't take too long till the enemy comes to the realization, you know what? Every time I try to go against them, it brings them closer to God. This isn't working. So put away distractions. Lay your concerns, your thoughts, your worries, your heartaches, your griefs, your regrets, whatever it may be, before God and let him minister to you. Oh, and then we get into, we've, we've asked, we seek, we've knocked. Now we get into, even though God may not give you what you want, he gives you what is best. Oh, it is important here that we trust him, that we are yielded to his guidance, yielded to his leading. And I see that my time is running out. Oh, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11 says, You parents, if you ask your children for, a, or if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you as sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts to those who ask? He has good gifts, and he desires to bring them to you. Put yourself in a position to be able to hear his voice. Don't let sin separate you from the leadership of your Savior.
go to him every day in prayer, asking. Spend time in the word of God, seeking. Don't be afraid to go knocking because there is wonderful things for you, great blessings. You are his children. You are his beloved. Why do we not realize that? The little song that they taught us as a child, perhaps some of the deepest theological truth, yes, Jesus loves me. Don't walk from this place this morning without realizing how much, how deeply, how truly you are loved. Reach to his hand. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Let him show you the path. And if you've never asked him into your heart, the greatest decision you could ever make is receiving him this morning. So I ask if there are any, any, who want to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, come forward this morning. Let us spend time with you in prayer. Let us share with you the love of Jesus. To the rest of you, I say keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Trust in him for he will not leave you. Older Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your word, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. And oh God, although we have been so far sometimes from your will, we have never been beyond your care. Guide us back, Lord. Direct us into the paths you would have us tread. Let us be what you have created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.